Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the WaxCast, episode 39. Today, I'm joined by Isabel Brown, who is the author of Frontlines, Finding My Voice on an American College Campus, and she is also a contributor to TPUSA and The First TV. Isabel, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you here in New York. We're going to be hosting you in about, I don't know, like an hour or so for a big event uh, downstairs at the New York Young Republican Club. But I want to start off by talking a bit about your background. So you're a recent college graduate, and you obviously went through the whole ringer that is the American higher education system. System. Uh, why do you not have purple hair and why don't you hate uh, all men? What's the <laughs> That's deal? That's the million dollar question, yes. Gavin. Actually, the patriarchy in this room is suffocating. Oh my I God. Have you, have a, you have an old white man. Of like... old white guys. I'm <laughs> being interviewed by a white guy. Oh man, it's sad to it's me, bad. honestly. It's bad. How many people truly believe those things today in our country? But you're right, I did. I got my start in the conservative movement on my college campus. I graduated in 2019 from Colorado State University and my degree had nothing to do with politics or so I thought. So studying biomedical sciences with the intention of becoming a physician. And I actually ended up getting my master's degree essentially in public health policy after my college experience at Georgetown University and graduated in 2020. So my background educationally is very much in the hard sciences and how we deal with the policy of that science. But I discovered that even science today, especially in academia, and I think all Americans understand this a little bit more intimately today with the rise of COVID-19 regulations, even science is not driven by the pursuit of objective truth anymore. It's constantly swayed by the changing political narrative of the day and what the demands, especially of the extreme left, have become. So even in my classes like anatomy and OCHEM and physiology, we were being taught things like, yes, there are two sets of chromosomes, but actually gender is a social construct. So just forget everything that we said about chromosomes. Well, that's so depressing because you always hear, oh, uh, the stems. If you stay in the stems, you'll avoid all the nonsense that happens in the liberal arts. You won't have all this politicization of, of the these uh, different academic fields, but you're coming from a hard science. You're coming from a pretty, uh, something that I would never think to be something that would be so politicized as it is, but you had a really bad experience, it sounds like. I truly did, yeah. And I'm honestly terrified for our future physicians, laboratory scientists, and people coming up with the next generation of scientific technology because 100% of the conversations that they're having in their classes either have nothing to do with science and are actually about border security or the thing that the big mean orange president said in the West Wing when he was there as our president, or they are scientific, but they're not driven by objective truth. They're driven by political reality, like this problem of genders. Well, that's very sad because, you know, they're using, you know, the whole brand and term science, follow the science as like a battering ram against the right. And every time you criticize anything the left proposes, they say, well, they're on the side of science, that they're following the science. And maybe 20, 30 years ago, there was more of this dichotomy between, you know, maybe the views of the religious right and maybe the views of the secular left. But it's funny that now in, in our crazy world we're living in, it seems that the science is generally in line with what the conservative religious right is saying, mm-hmm. and the secular left is just in loony land. It's fascinating, and ironically, that secular left argument that is in loony land, or complete fantasy world, as I always say, completely removed from objective reality, believing genuinely that the truth you live in is completely different from the truth subjective. that I live in, it's all subjective, is followed with religious fanaticism. People believe this with every fiber of their being. And the second you question one thing, not even say the opposite or try to argue with the left, but raise your hand to ask a question, they will completely excommunicate you from this religious That sounds like a cult, and that's what it is. It's wokeism. And and the worst part about it is they take over these institutions, whether it's academia or the media or whatever, they take over these institutions with sort of a legacy, and they wear – they wear it as like a badge of like honor. They wear it to basically conceal their real intentions, which is basically just warping reality, warping objective facts, and 
and construing everything to their own narrative or agenda, which is kind of twisted. It's it's really it's really sick. And a lot of people who aren't maybe in the weeds of these things, like maybe you or, or I am, basically will see someone you know in a lab coat, you know, pretending to be a scientist, pretending to be a doctor, who's just spewing complete nonsense under the guise of science, medicine, or whatever it is. They absolutely are. And my general rule of thumb, science or otherwise, when you're listening to someone who overtly identifies with the political left, is that you should believe the exact opposite of what they're telling you. <laughs> Typically, what they're saying has exactly the opposite meaning of what they're actually doing behind the scenes or what they mean with their words. For example, this last year, we heard a lot about unity. Do you remember that word being the number one word on the campaign trail for the Biden-Harris campaign, now our administration? Uh, And the left has said so many things that it's time for our country to come together, to unify, to be the United States of America. But today, they're doing absolutely everything they can to divide us in as many categories as possible, even under the guise of public health regulations, keeping you divided from society in your house, not going to work, not going back to school, uh, and even from your own family and grandparents. It's absolutely disgusting. Well, let's shift on to that a bit because you you mentioned, you know, the public policy realm, particularly health public policy or public health policy, excuse me. We've a lot of Americans probably never had familiarity with this concept or this field prior to COVID. Now they're getting a rude awakening. (laughs) And it seems like a lot of these quote unquote public health experts are just making stuff up as they go. We see Fauci and his Fauciisms. Basically, he just changes the science every other week the science, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, you know, first it said, no, don't wear a mask. Then it was wear one mask. Now it's wearing two masks. Then it's like a certain distance is okay. Now it's not. Standing is fine. Sitting is, is okay. Now it's not. It's like, you, there, it's, it's all, it's all just made up. It's it all, it's all rules of thumb. There's nothing scientific about it. It's all like the antithesis of science. It's all just, you know, guesstimates and, and, you know, hunches about what may be or what may not be uh, applicable for COVID. But the funny thing is, is we do have a lot of science. We know how these, these, these viruses are, are transmitted. We understand the science behind droplets and, you know, the transmission process. We have therapeutics. We have all this stuff, but it's like, it's all being thrown out the door. They're rewriting what antibodies mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I saw someone posted on Twitter, like it was a live edit of one of these web pages that went from antibodies could be either through a prior infection or through a, a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Now it's only through a vaccine. So we're watching literally things being changed in real time. It's very scary and it's yes. all being done under the guise of science. It is. It's terrifying. And regardless of what political background you come from, if you wake up just a second to realize this changing goalpost that's constantly moving right before our eyes, you should be terrified that people are rewriting what objective reality is under the guise of follow the science every time you turn around. You're right. At first it was, well, don't wear a mask because you don't need to and the science doesn't suggest that and we're never going to lock everybody down because we've never done that with a pandemic and actually it hurts things when we do that. We have scientific evidence to prove that and I was learning that in real time uh, with my master's program at Georgetown University from the top, top people at the WHO from the CDC as the Chinese government was shutting down the Wuhan province. We were told over and over again, this has never worked. We're never going to do this. We have evidence to suggest that that actually spreads disease faster. Hmm. I can't believe that this is happening. We vehemently condemn that. We'll fast forward three weeks later and we're now at a year later of 15 days to slow the spread. Well, they threw the whole book out. like the, The whole book about how to fight these types of uh, respiratory illnesses, these pandemics, you know, it's completely contrary to what they ended up doing. It was always isolate those most at risk. Correct. The most- that's, that's the definition of quarantine too, right. Gavin, which is so important. We've completely changed the definition of yeah. this word. To quarantine someone means to remove the sick person from all the healthy hmm. people and isolate them until they're better and then let them go out. We've never, ever shut down access for healthy people to engage 
engage in their day-to-day life every day. But now that's the norm and what the left is calling the new norm. So at first it was, okay, if everybody wears their masks and social distances for 15 days, we'll all be able to go back to normal. Then, well, maybe it has to be a little bit longer, maybe until a handful of people, the elderly or the most vulnerable are vaccinated. Well, actually now everyone has to be vaccinated. And even if you're vaccinated, we still might not open up the country and you still have to social distance and you still have to wear six masks on a plane. I mean, it's literally getting to this point. And it's so frustrating for me as someone who understands the very, very tiny intricacies of how these diseases work, of how viruses are spread, uh, that science is not being told to you by scientists anymore. It's being told to you and dictated by politicians. So I first really got the inspiration and the incitement, for lack of a better word, to get involved in this conservative movement and start speaking up, not because of my love of politics, which I've always had, and it's always been a hobby of mine, but because literally reality and truth are being rewritten before our eyes. And it's not hard to stop this train from going off the rails. It simply involves a handful of people being courageous enough to speak up against it. No, that's really it. You have to go against the group think. You have to go against the mob. And, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, they'll keep their head down in public and they'll go along with this nonsense. But deep down, they know it's ridiculous. They know it's illogical. I mean, I was eating uh, earlier today at this at this deli and I could sit at a table within like closer than you and I are right now without a mask on. But God forbid I stood up and I didn't have a mask on. I would be screamed at hysterically. I mean, yeah. none of it makes sense. But it's it's really fighting through this kind of this conformity that they've established. And that's what the left does and everything they touch it. They, they, they just make it into this cult like mentality, this mob like mentality, and they scare everyone into submission, whether it's in the public health fields or in or, or in uh, higher education. I want to come back to this because there's a lot to talk about on COVID. But I want to keep it a little focused here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll start back off with uh, with college campuses. So you, you you went to school. You you were in a field that you never thought would have been so politicized, and you started to see that you know your professors, whoever were injecting all of this into it. So you have it from both the professors, but you also have it from the students. Mm-hmm. I mean, many people go into these colleges, you know, with a good head on their shoulders. You know, maybe they come from a more conservative religious household. They have good values instilled in them, but then they come out on the other end of it after four years, a completely changed person. I mean, that's very scary. That's scary for a society. It is, but it's predictable. And we see that pattern happen every single day on virtually every college campus in America. Either 18-year-olds show up to campus having never talked about politics around their family dinner table for their entire life, and therefore they just accept everything that the expert in the room has to say, being their professor, as truth. Or they do. They come from a very conservative, maybe religious background. They have a great head on their shoulders, a solid foundation. But they're so terrified of that backlash from the left that they would rather keep their head down or even completely fundamentally change their value system to go along with what the loudest voices are saying on campus in order to avoid being called a racist and a white supremacist and a homophobe and transphobic and anti-women names you and I have been called every single day doing what we do professionally. But it's that fear and it's the same factor, ironically, that's being used with COVID-19 to continue encouraging people to submit to the authority. On college campuses, that's the woke radical left. And we see that voice becoming louder every single day, particularly from faculty and administration, as the conservative student voice has gotten a lot louder with the rise of Generation Z, my generation, in America, and groups like Turning Point USA and College Republicans starting to fight back against that. Well, that's a good point, because what we're seeing is that the youngest of the generations, the Zoomers, are shifting to the right more than I think any generation since the silent generation, Mr. Mm -hmm. Coolidge up there. Um, And it's, you know, some people can attribute it maybe because there's always an inherent sort of 
part of being youthful is going against the orthodoxy. And the orthodoxy now is certainly not on the right. Right. It's very much on the left and all our institutions and all our pop culture, whatever it is. So there's part of that. But also it just seems that the left has become so aggressive in, in shoving this down people's throats that it's just it's just leading naturally to a pushback, which is positive. But you also have the groups that you mentioned that are organizing on campus. To me, and I've been out of college for, for a bit now, it does seem like from the surface level that there is far more in terms of organization and infrastructure on the right for college. Groups. I mean, you have TPUSA, you have the College Republicans, you have, you know, Young Americans for Liberty, you have the more libertarian leaning groups. There's a lot of that. There isn't so much on the left that I'm aware of, and they're certainly not nearly as organized, but they still have this, this grip on the student body. I mean, is that changing? Do you think that's starting to change? I think it is changing, particularly in the student demographic, because you're right, there really is no leftist counterpart to groups like Turning Point USA, YAF, YAL, College Republicans, the Network of Enlightened Women. There are so many groups okay. out there that are reaching young Americans in a way they understand and a language they understand. And that's really important and something we're going to be talking a lot about tonight with my event, because for so long, the political right, conservative, Republican, whatever you want to call it, has completely ignored the need to reach young Americans where they're at in the state of affairs that they are in right now. We've just always had this assumption that people will graduate from their college campus, they'll get to the real world, and they'll pay taxes and have a job, and all of a sudden think, huh, maybe I'm not as socialist as I thought I was. Maybe I don't like paying taxes. Maybe I like having the freedom to say what I want to say. And so I think evolutionarily, there's been this natural transition from being more more left when you're young to being a conservative by the time you're our parents' age or by the time you have to have a career. Uh, but that's not true anymore. It hasn't been true for several decades. Those crazy ideas are part of our culture now, and that's part of that problem. Uh, but that's what these groups are doing. They're reaching people in a way that they can understand. So from a demographic perspective, students are by far and large more conservative, but I think that's causing administrations to push back and become slightly more leftist, if not overtly more leftist on campus. You made a great point, though, and that's something that I always heard is like, you know, you have these views when you're younger, then you get older, you get more mature. I think the problem, though, that a lot of people are forgetting is like, people are just staying kind of juvenile on their thinking. They are. I mean, a lot of people are never entering the real world. I know many of my friends that I grew up with, they'll get out of school, they're undergrad, they'll go back to school because they can't handle it. They can't mm-hmm. handle the job. They can't handle real life responsibilities outside of a campus. And, you know, talk about, you know, the whole, you know, uh, participation trophy culture, whatever you <laughs> want to say. But there's a lot of things that's happened uh, to my generation, millennials, and maybe even to the Zoomers that have basically, uh, you know, sort of stalled their development in terms of maturity. I mean, they could be in their 30s and still be be acting like they're in their early 20s or even in their teens. And I think that's a big part of what's going on. I think just as a society in general, people are staying, you know, they're, they're, they're not getting married mm-hmm. at the same rate that they used to. Mm-hmm. They're consequently not getting, you know, they're not buying their first home earlier as they used to. They're still living at home. They're doing a lot of different things that would still keep them sort of in this mentality that would be akin to a college student right. and thus their voting patterns. But you're making a good point. The other part of that, that's one part. And then you know, the other part is the Republicans. They, they think kind of short term, politically speaking, like one election cycle. Mm-hmm. And they think, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. We have our over 65 vote. We have these certain voting blocks, whatever. The left is, you know, the left is playing the long game. They're saying, you know, we're going to pump out the next generation of Americans to, to think and march in lockstep with our views. And we're going to indoctrinate them on the campuses paid for by the taxpayers. Um, and they're going to come out of school. And instead of getting an education, they're going to get propaganda. They're not going to be equipped to get regular jobs or, or, or decent jobs. And then they're going to be more miserable and they're going to fall into this cycle of debt and, you know, just not being fulfilled in their lives. And they're going to be easy prey uh, for people to, you know, 
poach them essentially and bring them more into the leftist fold, whether it's Antifa mm-hmm. or these other groups. So it's this really vicious cycle that I haven't seen a lot of institutional groups on the right really tackle holistically, but I'm glad to see that there are starting to be some emerging voices on college campuses such as yours. But did I did I outline that correctly? That Does is that seem- beautifully stated. And truthfully, we've created this culture of entitlement forever, yeah. indefinitely. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be 50 years old and still feel the need to have a sense of entitlement, this time from the government rather than your parents or right. your boss. Uh, and therefore that culture of dependency continues year after year after year. The left has been so coordinated and honestly brilliant in the last several decades in understanding the reality that politics is always downstream from culture. As Andrew Breitbart always said, he phenomenally understood this concept. But I think historically, the Republican Party and the GOP as an entity has been much more focused on the next presidential debate and the next state of the union. And who are we going to put on the ballot a few years from now? How many phone calls can we make? How many doors can we knock on. And that is important. I don't want to discount the importance of that. Uh, But the reality is when you hyper focus on that, you forget to reach people where they're at, the forgotten Americans, people who can turn out and be a base for a phenomenal candidate, as we saw with this revolution of the Make America Great Again movement uh, and this culture of reaching forgotten Americans in a way that they understand how they would talk through Twitter, not through fancy speeches and debates uh, in new ways and innovative ways, things that the left has been really good at for a very long time. It used to be if you were good on radio, you'd get elected like Mr. Coolidge and mm-hmm. you, if you were good on television like JFK, you would beat Nixon. Now you have to be good on Twitter. And it is a stream <laughs> of consciousness. And a lot of people, you know, they would criticize Trump and we were shifting gears hit, but I, I never understood. They would say, oh, you know, I like his policies, but I just don't like how he is online. Mm-hmm. And I would push back and I would say, you know, for every person he may have lost because of his tweets, I would argue he probably gained three oh, I who agree. appreciate it. Because I know a lot of people that even if they didn't agree with the context or the content of his tweets, they appreciated the realness, the rawness, that it was coming straight from him. You knew who you were speaking to. And even if you didn't agree with him, at least you knew it was him. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that that people can relate to more on a personal level. And that's why he built up such like a, you know, frankly, a cult of personality because mm-hmm. people feel like they really knew him because of his direct approach online and other media. We never, we don't see that with Biden now. We no. certainly didn't see that with even Obama, who was very charismatic or even past presidents. Um, so I would argue that that's the key to the future. And that's what the right needs to do more is really engage on these channels and really kind of take on these sort of not so polished, not so, I don't know, uh, professionalized maybe. I don't know what the right word is, but just be real and authentic and you'll connect with more people. Absolutely. And I think young conservatives get this idea more than anybody else. For goodness sakes, our last president communicated to us in memes and we loved it. We engaged with it every day. He was truly the people's president, as we call him, and the pop culture president. And it's this concept of digital media fighting the left at their own game and reaching people through culture rather than polished professional political speeches and people who've been in office more than twice the time that we've been alive in the United States Congress that's going to transform the culture of the next generation of Americans and bring us back to our roots of what it means to be an American, to embrace patriotism and free speech and the American dream. These things are not dead. They're just not being taught to young people to begin with. So today I have the incredible privilege of working as a spokesperson for Turning Point USA, arguably the nation's largest and most successful conservative organization doing exactly that on college campuses, in digital media, in new ways as we're launching this fall with Turning Point Faith, reaching these ideas in church communities around the world, which we recently announced. Uh, And we 
get this. It's all downstream from culture. So if we can reach people culturally, that's where that difference starts to take shape and make a change in our communities. But it doesn't take rocket science. It's not the most difficult thing in the world. Sometimes it's raising your hand in your college classroom and saying, no, professor, you're wrong, actually. And here's the data and the truth that I can use to back up my claim. Maybe it's making a 30 second video in your car, not driving, hopefully, but sitting in your driveway about something crazy that's happening in your own backyard. You're here in New York City. There's never a shortage of content to do that and saying the things that everybody's thinking, but nobody is brave enough to say. I've learned through the many years I've been involved with TPUSA and the conservative movement, most of the time, somebody needs somebody else to be the first person, the first person to raise their hand, to start a podcast, to post a video on social media. And it doesn't have to be hyper-produced or sitting in a beautiful room like this. Honestly, the best conversations happen over a cup of coffee with a friend or around the dinner table with your family. That's what we need culturally to start beating the left at their own game. No, I love that. And I want to touch on the church because you brought it up and 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 the religious component to a lot of this. I think, you know, there's obviously we talked about left taking over institutions and one of them is the church. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see, you know, woke churches basically just completely, you know, disconfiguring scripture and bending it to their own needs and being very selective in the passages they choose to cite. And it, it's part of this overall, just this this multi-front war that they're waging. And I think a lot of people have turned to churches and, and would like them to step up more. And I think a lot of churches, obviously through you know tax policy and stuff like that, they've been kind of prevented from speaking out as much as they would right. like to because they don't want to lose their tax-exempt status. But we're starting to see more clergy speak out on these issues, whether it's pro-life issues or whether it's just politics. I think I saw uh, it, it was a priest in a Catholic church church recently saying, you know, Joe Biden is welcome here, but his ideas are not welcome here. Mm-hmm. And we certainly, you know, he's he's a member of the Catholic Church, but his what he's representing and what he's presenting and what he's pushing are certainly not ideas that we would support or welcome. Mm-hmm. And it, it requires that. But I feel like there's been a lot of, uh, there are a lot of people that I know that are very religious. They go to church, but they've been so passive on this front and they've been sort of removed from the world of politics. And I understand you want to stay out of it, but at a certain point, it's going to impact you. It's going to impact your life. So just being removed from it, just being passive, just being kind of a pacifist, maybe that's not the right right strategy. Maybe that's kind of leading to the left sort of rolling over us. And that's why we had churches shut down for months. I mean, you couldn't even go, you couldn't even go to mass in New York if you right. wanted to. And in America, in America, you can't, you couldn't go to mass. And if I had told you that a year ago or two years ago, you would have thought I was crazy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, is is am I wrong here in saying that maybe the, you know, elements of the church and elements of, of the religious right or just the reli- many Christians in this country, it's a huge voting block, probably need to push back stronger against the left even. Not probably, they do. They and do. I think it requires the church's active participation in influencing culture rather than letting the culture of the world influence Christianity. I talk a lot about this progressive woke Christianity culture. I grew up in the Catholic church and it has been alarming to me to see the highest levels of the Catholic church as an institution completely abandoned in the call to action from our gospel to evangelize, to tell the truth to the world in a world that has rejected truth and embraced lies, uh, which we know is going to happen based on the gospels. If you read them, we know the world is going to reject the teachings of God, objective truth. They're going to feed you lies, and it's going to sound a lot like truth. And we're seeing that unveil right before our eyes here in America and around the world. And instead, the Catholic Church, the Christian Church, many religious institutions in America are practicing the religion of leftism and not the religion of Christianity. 
You mentioned that many of these churches are twisting scripture and they're completely negating what the word of God actually means. There was a post that went viral a few weeks ago from a mega church in Nashville, Tennessee. I don't know if you saw this, but they literally said the Bible is not the word of God and it's not an instruction manual for how you should live your life. Essentially, it's this really feel good document that's a composure of many different authors throughout history and you're always going to feel really good when you're at our church. You're going to feel welcome. All your problems are going to get taken care of. That's not Christianity at all. Your life's probably going to be a lot harder fitting into this world if you're truly living the instructions of God and per the gospels and per the word of God. You're trying to make this world more like the next. Unfortunately, that fear factor is really a problem even for members of the clergy in our country. They don't want to be called horrible human rights abusers. They don't want to be called Nazis and white supremacists and racists like everybody else. And they're only human at the end of the day, just like you and me. So that same culture of exclusion towards objective truth towards religion, towards conservative ideas that we see on college campuses has absolutely permeated the church today. And that's, I think it's even more twisted to where, you know, this, again, where this sort of veneer of being, you know, a religious, pious person and then twisted to suit your own narrative. I mean, I think if you're, if you're an out and out militant atheist, at least you're being honest. Yeah. And at least you're not trying to misconstrue what the religion is or what, what, what the scripture says. I think it's, it's a certain level of just, I don't know, just, 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 uh, just not being just truthful, just being totally disingenuous to really twist it. But um, we could talk about this. This could be a whole podcast talking about, <laughs> you know, religious issues in the United States. But I want to kind of keep it focused again on colleges. So yeah. what do you say to people that are in high school right now and planning, you know, they're taking their SATs, ACTs. I don't know if they still take them anymore. And they're planning to go to college. I mean, do you still recommend people go to college? I mean, because there's a lot of people that also say, is college even worth it anymore? I mean, you're going into debt. You're not getting a quality yep. education. There is there is degree inflation. You know, a bachelor's degree today is, you know, you need really uh you need like a master's or post post uh post uh uh bachelor's degree uh to get it to get anything really mm-hmm. i mean especially what you think it is so there's been degree inflation the costs have gone up um and there's just you, there's not this sort of rigor academically that that people think that there is should people even bother should they go into trade should they just go their own way start their own business just go straight to work i mean what do you recommend that is a very personal question and i know many in the conservative movement have essentially thrown the de- the value of a degree out the window We're saying college is not for anybody. We shouldn't be going. Let's just boycott the whole process and move on with our lives. And there is some truth to that. I think college is not for everybody. And look, if you're going to college to get a gender studies degree or an ethnic studies degree, and honestly today, even probably a history or English degree or political science degree, you do not need to be there. Save your money to buy a house, to buy a car, to get a great new job. Uh, And I guarantee you there are many companies. There are many people in Washington, D.C. in politics. There are many opportunities for you, people who will hire you if you do not have a college degree because you have a great head on your shoulders and you understand you don't need to be indoctrinated to make a difference in this world. Some of the most successful people I know never set foot on a college campus as a student. Charlie Kirk, my boss, being one of them. I am on the very opposite end of that spectrum and obviously I'm coming from a position of loving higher education and the process of learning I always have uh, and that's why I chose science. It was an intellectual challenge for me. It was something that was rigorous and exciting every day and I would do the same thing all over again. I would get the exact same two degrees that I did. I'm hopefully going to law school in the fall, so I'm definitely not done with higher education or academia. Uh, But unless you need to go to college, to go to medical school, to go to law school, to get a degree in the field that you're hoping to get a job in, college is probably not for you. And there's a lot of other opportunities to make a difference in this world without the insanity of a college campus. And I think a lot of people reject like self-learning, like the resources Mm -hmm. available. You could literally go and watch Harvard classes online. For free. For free. Right now, today. The same 
education, you could buy the same books. You could probably get them cheaper than the ones they want you to buy. Correct. And you could teach yourself everything you will get from those schools. So it's like, I can maybe understand 100 years ago, you didn't have access to that. Right. We have such, so much information available at our fingertips, and there's just never been so much just general apathy and laziness just to just go pursue it. It's all this credentialism. Like It's like everyone's chasing the credentials, but they're not actually chasing the core value, which is an education. Mm-hmm. They're getting schooled. You're getting a schooling in many cases, but you're not getting a real education. In fact, many of these universities are openly admitting that. I talk a lot about this in my book, but I was very involved in student government when I was in college at Colorado State University. And because of that, I often had meetings with the university president, many of the vice presidents, the very top people in our college administration. And one of them, our vice president for student affairs, actually told me to my face once in one of these closed door meetings that the goal of Colorado State University was not to educate young Americans and prepare them to be successful adults in the real world and make a difference in their chosen careers. No, the goal of our university was actually to become the next social justice institution of America. They wanted CSU, where I went to college, to become the next Mizzou. That was their dream and what 100% of the time for our, our administration was being focused on in order to make that dream a reality. So know what kind of environment you are choosing to enter into if you're trying to go to your college campus. That's one of the many reasons that I wrote my book, Frontlines, as you know, a laid out manual of what my student experience was like from my perspective, not from a crazy speaker that comes to campus and there's a big protest and you might hear about it on the news for five minutes and that side of how campus is crazy, but what your professors say in class, what's happening in student government, what your friends in your dorm might say if you put a big gov sucks poster up on your door. College campuses for 99% of the time in America today are not welcoming environments to anyone other than the farthest of the farthest on the left. Even classical liberals today really do not have a home in higher education and academia. That's not to say you shouldn't go, but you should be prepared for the set of circumstances that you're entering into. So we've gone into the problems of higher ed in this country. Uh, what are the solutions? There's, you know, there's more kind of the hands-off approach. A lot of people, you know, they just want to get the government completely out of it, you yep. know. And obviously, many of these schools are private, quote-unquote, but they receive tons of government subsidies. Many of their students are coming in subsidized by the government. Uh, they're getting, you know, tons of funding from government, or they're getting tax write-offs, whatever it is. And you have the public schools, which are just as bad in many ways as the private schools. So what is the solution? Is it just hands-off and let the market solve itself? Or should there be some guidance? Line said and say, listen, you know, if you're going to be spending this kind of money, you should be getting a quality education. You shouldn't be teaching things that are just completely antithetical to the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, there should be some objective standards, especially if you want to be accredited. I mean, they should look at the, uh, they should look at like uh, some of these schools and being accredited. I mean, they should, they should revoke them or even, you know, tax these endowments. A lot of these endowments oh are just gosh. these massive funds that aren't doing anything and they're just accumulating more wealth and, 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 and it's just perpetuating these institutions power rather than actually serving their customers. Customers, which are still the students, but a lot of people forget that maybe it's getting out of the student loan business. I mean, the whole reason colleges are so inflated is because we underwrite the loans. So there's no, you know, you could just keep charging up into infinity, and there's no, there's no real risk to the lenders because if you if you don't pay it, the government will pay it because they're underwriting. And I mean, what what is the solution here? I mean, is there even a solution, or is this just a broader fight on the cultural front that we we'll just have to wage bit by bit? You know, I believe there is, and you hit the nail right on the head in your question there, Gavin. You said that students are the consumers of a product that universities are providing. I think we forget whether they're public or private. Universities are businesses at the end of the day. You are paying them to receive something in return, and that is an education, hopefully a quality education in your chosen field that's going to prepare you to be a successful adult in the future. So first and foremost, we have to retake this idea and reclaim this idea of universities being a business and that 
that the customer is always right. How do you do that? You get involved in the process. You speak up to the school board. You speak up to the professor. You speak up to the head of the department when something is going wrong. You go to the provost, go to the university president, and you explain to people that it's not okay when this indoctrination is happening because you as the consumer are not okay with it. If I've learned anything in the last few years, it's that the left can basically be a runaway train for insanity until they get some opposition. And the second even one person is willing to raise their hand and say, you know, I don't think I'm okay with that. Let's have a dialogue about that. 99% of the time, the left is going to back down. They're afraid of that opposition. Hmm. They don't want to have those uncomfortable conversations because they're not actually interested in discussion or debate. They're interested in railroading you. So they're afraid of any sort of opposition to begin with from conservatives, parents, from Christian parents, uh, and from students in both of those backgrounds as well. So get involved in the process and speak up. Be the consumer of your education rather than just letting this process take you away like a river with absolutely zero opportunity to swim against that current. The other side of things is that cultural battle. And at Turning Point USA, we always love to say that we are in the middle of a culture war. We don't say that metaphorically. We're not saying that to paint a pretty word picture in a poem and have some great things on social media graphics. Never in American history have we been in a time where young people in particular are in such a desperate need of one thing, the truth. And that's really all this comes down to. You and I get to do a lot of work every day on the news. We have podcast opportunities. We get to reach a lot of people on social media every day, all at once. But our jobs are very simple in that it all boils down every day to the chance to tell the truth to the world in different ways and different mediums that we can get this information out there. Everyone listening to this podcast who's currently on a college campus, who's sending their child to a college campus, and honestly, every level of education today, all the way down to preschool as we're reading books like anti-racist books baby and feminist baby to our two-year-olds at daycare, get involved in the process. Be a warrior for our culture in the United States. When we embrace that apathy that so many generations have before us that led to this idea of millennials changing the real world to make it socialist, to make it anti-First Amendment, to make it where there's infinity genders and COVID-19 is going to change the world forever and let's just all stay in our homes forever, that was bred out of apathy. And so, like I said earlier, it really is very simple. Raise your hand in class. Tell your professor, no, you're wrong. Post a video on social media. Talk to your friend that you know you politically disagree with and ask them where they're coming from and have those uh, conversations, those dialogues, those discussions. The left is terrified of conservatives getting involved in culture. But as soon as we do that, it's pretty easy to change people's minds and to start a revolution from inside out on a college campus, from the student perspective, all the way up to administration with that consumer of education demanding a change, because we have truth on our side. We know what is truth. It rings of truth. We always like to say truth has a ring to it Mm -hmm. uh, because you can hear it and you can recognize it when it is said to you. Wow. Love that. That was great. But what's next for you? What's next for Isabel? Where are you going from here? You got your book. You got uh, TPUSA. You have a lot of other things going on. What's the plan from here besides law school? And I'm assuming uh, a medical degree. And I'm assuming, you know, a master's in philosophy and whatever else there All is. All of the above. You know, I get this question a lot. It's probably my most common question, oh, especially damn, on right. podcasts, which is very interesting to me because I don't have a great answer for it. When you are in the pre-med world, you plan out the next 40 years of your life, basically. You're in school for this many wow. years, and then you have your residency and your fellow 
fellowship. Uh, and I was very much in that world until I was really listening to my heart and listening to God about what direction I needed to go in in my life and totally and completely fell in love with activism and advocacy, which is why I'm doing what I do now. I don't have a plan six months from now, honestly, and I'm completely open to whatever God puts in my path. The last two years have been so extraordinary, full of adventures and opportunities that I never would have anticipated if I had stuck to my original plan of what my education was demanding that I do. Uh, But I'm completely open to any opportunity to tell the truth to people, if that's on cable news, on social media, public speaking, podcasts. And I just really would like to encourage anybody listening to this as a young person, that if you feel your heart and your gut leading you in a specific direction, that's probably the plan for what you should be doing with your life. Your passions are a gift from God and they're his way of telling you what you should pursue to make a difference in this world. Don't feel like you have to do what you thought you were going to do forever in your life or what society wants you to do or your parents. You can make a difference in this world, literally, you know, starting from scratch, doing something. Two years ago, I had no idea how to build a following on social media, how one of these microphones worked, what a podcast was like, or being on the news. And obviously today I get to do that every day. It's a total dream come true. That's awesome. So uh, where can everyone follow you and get a copy of your book? Social media is the best place to find me. And I'm very responsive on Instagram to DMs and comments. If you guys ever need advice or have questions about anything at the Isabel Brown is typically my handle, except for Twitter, which is at the Isabel B. And you can get my book Frontlines, Finding My Voice on an American College Campus on Amazon, Barnes and Noble uh, and some other retailers as well. But those are the easiest ones. Well, this is awesome. So thanks for coming. And we're going to have a great event in about uh, 30 minutes or so. Awesome. Can't wait. Awesome, guys. So stay tuned for the next episode of the WaxCast. We're going to have a lot more episodes coming to you very soon. Hooray! We're good. Nice. Great podcast. I could have done that for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> what did we hit on time-wise? I just kind of wung it there towards the end. Uh, I thought 30, we were... 36. Oh, 36? Perfect. perfect. Good That's time. exactly what we needed. That was 